haunted mayhem. This episode of Haunted Mayhem is being brought to you by author Abila Sumter. Hello, and welcome to Haunted Mayhem. I'm your host, Brandy Nicole, here to talk all things murder and mayhem. Man, what a crazy whirlwind the past two weeks have been. And the devastation happening on the side of that, it's unreal. Uh, I'm sure you've seen the Maui fires on the news and um, on social media feeds, and it is just devastating. That fire was rapid, and my heart is just so broken for those people. Um, If you would like to help, there are a lot of websites that you can go to. Um, The Maui website actually has um, a lot of links to um, confirmed legit places that you can donate to. So you might want to check that out. Um, Also, there's a hurricane about to hit California. I did not even know uh, that was a thing. Okay. No clues. Um, I haven't had time to look it up and I know they're saying it's rare, but like how rare? Um, are we talking like it hasn't happened since before 1990 and that's why I don't know it was a possible thing or is it that sheltered life problem that I've suffered most of my life? That could be a thing. Um, definitely going to have to investigate, um, because I cannot re in my memory, I cannot remember a time that a hurricane and you know, it could have lots of crap happens. But when I seen that in the headlines today, I was like, what? A hurricane's going to hit? Okay, we're entering the day after tomorrow. Watch that movie a gazillion times. I'm not ready. That was a lot of damn snow. So, no. No, thank you. Um, Let's see. What else? Oh, yes. The latest fuss in Hollywood. You know, that whole Michael Orr and his adoptive and I say that with every ounce of sarcasm that is instilled in me family yes Michael has been screwed and shame on them for what they have done but please let's leave Sandra Bullock out of this this is a civil suit between family and the rights and money owed to Michael Orr including money he would like from the movie Sandra helped make a blockbuster and got an Emmy for. Just leave her alone. Judges give Michael what he is due. Let's all move on and quit taking advantage of one another. I mean, damn. Um, recent recommendations. Honestly, with school starting back and getting into the swing of teaching again, I haven't had much time for chill and read. I'm kind of missing that whole July where I got two books in a month. Yay me. But I guess that book kind of is rolling into my August count. (laughs) But I did start a new few things. So um, though I didn't complete them, um, they were new to me. Um, A recent book was uh, Self-Publishing with Brian Cohen. 
you know, in any market, it's important to stay on top of the ins and outs. Um, as far as, you know, my book publishing, small business, um, I want to stay on top of what helps. I want to stay relevant. I want to do things that keep it going. And Brian does an amazing job breaking things down and doing that and helping authors stay on top of it. And he just published this book not long ago and I've been meaning to read it. So I finally started it coming on, coming up with a new season of events and, um, things that have changed. And I feel like what I've read so far is really, really good and on point. And if you have not, if you have, um, interest in publishing a book ever, or you are, you are a published author or whatever, um, check out his books, check out his, uh, his Facebook page, his website. It's B-R-Y-A-N-C-O-H-E-N. Uh, he gives some really good sound advice. So I definitely check him out. Um, a recent podcast, still listening to what really happened at the Lord's Ranch. I am so suckered into this story. Um, it's about two former residents of the Lord's Ranch who go back over 40 years and interview various generations of former residents, staff members, local townspeople, and a local award-winning investigative journalist about a religious-based adolescent treatment facility in Warm Springs, Arkansas. I cannot get enough of this podcast. Um, I think I'm like halfway through it now, but there's, uh, there's over a hundred episodes and each one just reveals more and more. And it's just like, how, how was this happening? How did this go under the radar? Like, it's just mind blowing how something that disgusting and, you know, it was just, it was really, it was highway robbery, um, for taxpayers. And we had all these governors and former governors and presidents that would, that would go visit there and like donated. And it was, it's just all disgusting and no one knew about it. And I, I just, I really want to keep going, see what happens and, um, learn the truth. That's, you know, that's the biggest thing. Like people with the, the UFO things. Okay. It, it has been like a hundred years and they're finally coming out and telling us that UFOs are real. Um, why not just tell us that a hundred years ago? Um, I get your whole fear tactics and, you know, you don't want people to freak out, but nobody really freaked out. And everybody was like, yeah, we already know y'all are just a bunch of liars. And we know this. That's why we don't like y'all. We don't like politicians because they lie. Um, don't lie to us. We just want the truth. And so that's what I'm, I'm really seeking here in this podcast. And I'm glad that they're bringing it to lot for the people that were involved and, um, I mean, there needs to be some justice brought to that. Speaking of podcasts though, let's check out what's happening on the once upon a podcast network on unpaused life. The ladies discuss the ups and downs of overcoming fears with events at great heights. Overcoming fears can be very difficult, but fun. 
if you do it with the right attitude. So give them a listen. On Mimesis, Stacy and Sandra discuss a real-life game of tag that inspired a movie that's carried on for over 30 years. Wow. I'm going to have to listen to that. I don't think I've ever heard that story. Um, Real-life game of tag. 30 years. Oh, man. Um, the latest episode of A Bit of Boo, the ladies are discussing the top 10 most haunted states in the country and their number one most spooky spot. Then finally, on Starlight Tea, Christy and Belinda are serving the tea on magical creatures, the, fantastic, the fantastical kind that capture our imagination and bring magic to life. Now, time to shift gears and move on to why we are here. The murder and the mayhem that followed. The story I'm going to talk about really swept through the media in uh, 2012, 2013. It was a worldwide news event as people from all around the world prayed for this beautiful little baby. This is the story of April Jones and her will not to be forgotten even in death. So here we go. April Jones was from Wales. Um, I tried multiple times to say the, the name of the town. Um, but I feel like I was doing a really bad job. And so I kind of just gave up. But yeah, she was from a small town in Wales. Okay. Um, she was age five when she disappeared on October 1st in 2012. After being sighted willingly getting into a vehicle near her home. Her disappearance generated a large amount of national and international press coverage. Uh, on October 3rd, April Jones' mother made an appeal for information about her daughter. The following day, Prime Minister David Cameron also issued an appeal to the public, commenting, clearly having this happen to you and the fact that she suffers from cerebral palsy, something I know a little about from my own children, only makes this worse. My appeal would be to everyone, if you know anything, if you saw anything, heard anything, have any ideas you can bring forward to talk to the police, Cameron said that his heart goes out to her family, particularly as Jones suffered from cerebral palsy, the same condition that his son Ivan succumbed to in 2009. That's so sad. And I mean, seriously, you're going to take a child that you know is disabled. Oh, it's so disgusting. You know she's disabled and she's uh, she's a child anyway. Oh, people are just so demented. In the days following her disappearance, a large search operation for the girl was mounted around the area, involving police and search and rescue teams using specialized equipment, as well as hundreds of volunteers. On March 27, 2013, police revealed that they would call off the search at the end of April and on April 22nd, police confirmed that the search had officially ended. This was the largest missing person search in UK police history. The day after April vanished, Mark Berger was arrested as he matched the description of the man eyewitnesses said spoke to April and drove her away in his car. So, who was this? dickwad who took this sweet baby 
and would later still not reveal her whereabouts? Well, let me tell you. Mark was born at the War Memorial Hospital in Carshalton, London on November 6, 1965, the middle of three children of Pamela and policeman Graham Bridger. He grew up in a semi-detached home in Wallington, London. It's reported his parents were very strict, as they tended to be in the 60s. Bridger had a history of legal infractions. Oh, here we go. The start to the beginning of how did this how how did this man become who he was when he was 19 he was convicted of firearms offenses and theft he moved to wales in the 1980s and there he was convicted of criminal damage affray and driving without insurance in 1991 all seems pretty innocent you know right you know no insurance whatever the next year, he was convicted again for driving whilst disqualified and with still without insurance. Okay, listen. The first ticket tells you what you need to do. You do that. Duh. Okay. In 2004, he was convicted of battery and threatening behavior. And there is where we go. We go up the scale. He went from, oh, just, you know, I don't have car insurance and da 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 a little bit of theft, to assault and battery. And then in 2007, he would receive his fifth conviction, this time for assault. So he slowly increases his crimes, like it's just that slow incline that leads to murder. And here we go. Bridger's work history is varied. Having worked as an abitur worker, hotel porter, firefighter, lifeguard, mechanic, and welder. I mean, he had some pretty good jobs if you could just pick one. He had six children by four women, including two by his wife, whom he married in 1990. Okay, listen. If, I mean, like, I feel for those poor kids, but if you've never watched... A documentary on a serial killer's children or murderer's children i recommend you do it um you really get to see how what a killer's decisions do to their lives because you would think oh well this poor family you know they had no idea no that's that's not how people see it they start treating treating them like they have the plague um or, you know, they egg their house. And it's like, do you not think that they're not going through enough on their own discovering that their husband or their dad or their boyfriend or their wife, hello, um, just up and murdered people and did all these disgusting, disturbing things to them. I mean, that is terrible enough and having to live with that and knowing how much pain your family member caused this other family or these other families. But no, society will stone them. They will throw rotten tomatoes. And I really think it is a good learning curve for people to watch those documentaries and say, you know what? Now, I mean, I know there have been some 
murderers who had children that went on to murder too. I can't help that, but there are good people. And you know, um, there have actually been some children of these men who have went on and created foundations and helped give back, um, to right the wrong that their parents did in society. And I think that's awesome. I mean, it's not every story, but it's some stories. And I think that people need to hear them too. Okay. Where was I? Do, 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 do. Okay. The trial of Mark Bridger began on April 29th, 2013 before judge Mr. Justice Griffith Williams. On May 24th, the BBC reported that the defense case had ended and the judge would begin to sum up the case on Tuesday, May 28th, after the bank holiday. On May 29th, the judge concluded his sum summation, good lord, and then ordered the jury to retire to consider its verdict. On May 30th, Bridger was found guilty of abduction, murder, and perverting the course of justice. Later that day, he was sentenced to life imprisonment with a whole life tariff having tariff meaning sentence, having been called a pathological liar and a pedophile by the judge. And he was a pathological liar. He lied the whole time they were interviewing him. I was like, mm, nope. Mm, mm. Uh, after the verdict, it was revealed that Bridger had confessed to the strange, to the strange ways prison chapel that he had disposed of April's body in the fast flowing river Dovey which flows past Bridger's house before terminating in the sea near Aberdiffy. Oh my Lord. I probably said that wrong. I'm sorry. If, if you're from Aberdiffy <laughs> and that's not how you say it, let me know how you say it. And my apologies. Um, the police have said they doubt Bridger's claims and believe he scattered April's remains across the countryside near his house. In July 2013, while serving his sentence, Bridger was attacked by a fellow prisoner with an improvised shank, resulting in facial and throat injuries for which he received stitches. Get him, boys. In December 2013, Bridger launched an appeal against his whole life sentence, but dropped the appeal in January 2014, as he should, because you know what? He does not need to be out in the streets at all no sir you actually probably just need to be in the dirt but anyway during the trial detective andy john stated as soon as we had that initial version of events i took the decision to explain to the family that that night that everything was pointing to the fact that april was dead and that they needed to know that at that point so i could try and manage and support them going forward they were understandably extremely traumatized, deeply upset, and shocked because obviously their hope is that we would have found April alive and well and that the matters could have been resolved fairly quickly. Obviously, that wasn't the case, and as a result, they needed a significant amount of support from that moment on. To two police family liaison officers, were subsequently assigned to support them and to help them come to terms with any developments. And so it was that the focus of the investigation shifted to
to the forensic examination. The biggest examination from a forensic perspective was obviously at the house, D.S. John said. We had to work through the house in a methodical way, which took a significant amount of time, but we had to work through the house. But we, ha- but in the end, we recovered some significant evidence. It was sometime later that fragments of bone believed to be from a child's skull were found in the ashes of Bridger's fireplace. And while no blood was found um, during the time of the trial, there was enough su- substantial evidence and to, to try him. And D.S. John, John stated on the sand that he believes April may have been cut up before being dumped in the surrounding countryside. And he stuck with this statement and he still believes that's what, that is what happened. But as you will hear, that is not what Mark Bridger himself had to say. He states that, and he still maintains this to this day. And this is why the judge was like, you're a pathological liar because that is not what happened. Because this is what he, this is what Mark, oh, Marky boy is saying happened. He maintains that he accidentally ran her over and claimed he couldn't remember what happened afterwards as he was drunk. I'm sorry, Mark. Here's why the judge called you a pathological liar. There were so many eyewitnesses. Who saw you stop and coax the little girl into your vehicle willingly? Okay. You didn't run her over. You didn't get out and put her in your car and run off. You stopped. You coaxed her into the vehicle and then you took off. So quit lying. Quit maintaining your statement because your statement is stupid. Okay. So here's where the mayhem follows so little miss april is to be heard and there's no telling what that poor sweet baby angel went through um it was probably horrific and i hope and pray that she finds um peace because she deserves it. Um, but in a prosec- prosecution witness statement obtained by the Daily Mirror, which was never made public during the trial, because it goes back to ghosts and, you know, we're not putting false lies on the sand. But <coughs> they did record it and put it on in, in the file. And it was Bridger's fellow inmate who said, he told me, meaning Mark, he thinks he has been visited by April's ghost every night. He believes this ghost to be that of April Jones, who is brought to him by another male ghost. When he has told me about the ghost, Bridger has been visibly upset. Good. I'm glad you're upset. And I want to know who this other male figure is. Like, is it like her bodyguard or is it like, I don't know. There's been speculations like I was reading on Reddit about it. Like, is it a demon who looks like like April and has come to um, torture him on Earth? 
Um, is it her ghost? And if it is, like, I hope she can let go because she does deserve that peace. Or is it just him? And why is he seeing, like, if it's just a mental breakdown that he's having um, for what he did, because what he did was disgusting and he should have a mental breakdown. Um, but what? Who? who's the other male? Like, what? Did he kill somebody else? Um, I mean, if that's the case, I want to know who this male ghost is. Um, but I couldn't find anything else on that. So it was just, it was, that was the only statement made was he believes this ghost to be that of April Jones, who was brought to him by another male ghost. So we're kind of just left with that to spin our own webs with. Um, Bridger told police that he had killed April, but has never revealed what he did with her body and months of exhaustive police searches failed to find her. April's blood and 17 fragments of skull were later discovered in his house. The tiny pieces of bone are all her parents were able to bury at her funeral. Oh, sick son of a bitch. Well, you know what? I hope that April and this other weird, this other male ghost that we know nothing about comes and haunts his ass to the point he is so frightened because his, his, his cellmate, said that he was visibly shaken well let's let's amp that up let's get from visibly shaken to like horrified and you know can't sleep terrified and get this girl some justice he needs to be scared out of his mind and admit what he did and tell her parents where her body is or what at least what he did to it um, they deserve that. She deserves that. And you know what? Maybe that's why she's hanging around. She wants peace for her family. From everything that I read about April, she was a sweet young lady. Um, loved her family. And I mean, maybe she just wants the peace this, for her, for them just as much as she needs it for herself. Either way, he needs to fess up because his little excuse about running over her is bullshit. And everybody knows it. I mean, this man is obviously off his freaking rocker, and it started apparently back in 2004, and ugh, he needs to fess up, and I hope he does. So what, tell me what you think. Um, is it April? Is it Mark losing his mind? It, um, who's the male figure? Um, is it a demon lookalike? Uh, what's going on there? Um, tell me, tell me your thoughts. Send it to me. Brandonicole at gmail.com. All right, let's get down and get to those hometown haunts. This week, I'm only going to be covering one story. Um, I knew that April's story was going to be a bit long, but also the hometown that was sent to me is one that I've actually heard about before. Um, and I recently seen, watched a Dateline episode about it. So, it's very interesting that this person lived in that town. Um, a 12-year-old girl, very self-conscious, used MySpace frequently and found a guy she didn't know personally who showed interest in her. The guy talked with her and built this relationship with her over the course of a few months. And then, out of nowhere... He became very hostile and said the most disgusting things to her. Turns out the guy was really her best friend's mom. That's right. I said that. 
the girl's best friend's mom. The girl ended up committing suicide and it wasn't found out that the MySpace guy was her friend's mom until a couple of months following her death. Okay, so like how sick and twisted do you have to be to be a mother and attack another girl the same age as your daughter that has no way of protecting herself? And would you want that done to your daughter? I don't think so. From what I can remember, the mother and the daughter behind the MySpace postings felt little to no remorse, or at least showed none and moved away. They weren't punished at all, as there were no cyberbullying laws in place at the time. It was probably the first real incident of cyberbullying, and it sparked a lot of media legislation. Um, it's a fairly well-known story. There's an ABC Family movie based on it. Thanks for, thanks for reading. Wit. Um, okay, so the girl's name was Megan. And like I said, I recently watched a Dateline episode on this. The girl's name was Megan. And Megan's parents are very loud activists for anti-bullying legislation now. Um, I cannot believe how heartless that mother is to have done this to her best friend's, her, her, her daughter's best friend. Okay. Uh, th- a girl that's the same age as her and she committed suicide. And like, from what I've seen in the document, what I remember seeing in the documentary, like they did not feel remorse at all, but the town was so, I mean, it wasn't a small town, but it was like a tight knit community. And like the town was rallying around the other family. And like this girl was getting so bullied at school and like parents were calling and pulling their kids from classes with her, Um, It was just a lot of issues at school. Um, Mom was having issues. And so basically they got pushed out of town and they moved away. Um, But it, it was intense and it was so disgusting that they could take no legal actions. But Megan's parents are changing things or have changed things. And I hate that what, what they went through. I absolutely do. But there has been a lot of good that saved a lot of people since then because of their actions to act after what happened to their daughter. So thank you. And thanks for that hometown. That was a, I, that was a really good one. And it's so funny that I just watched a Dateline episode on that. All right. Do you have a hometown haunt to share? A murder gone wrong? An urban legend that haunts your town? A crazy grandpa who sits and tells fables that could be true? Who's to say? Send them in and let them be heard. Brandy at brandynicole.com. Thanks for tuning in to another haunting episode. Until next time, friends. Bye. Haunted Mayhem.